Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember this story. story, story, story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 24 of the Podclarks. Wow. That's right, we are two years down this road into this adventure. Two years older, two years wiser. It's a long and winding road. It's a long and winding and wisdomous road. <laughs> Welcome all. Long and winding and yet exciting and interesting and uh, doesn't feel long and winding, you know. Just wanting to... Um... Extend the long and winding. Well, extend, yeah, even longer. Anyway... Um, yeah, Shti, what's, uh, what's happening for us this month? Well, I had an idea for the title of this episode. Um, in fact, I had two ideas. And the, the first one is Sliding Doors 2. <laughs> the sequel that never was. Well, or if we think that sequels are never as good as the original, it could be called It Was a Stuffed Parrot. OK, <laughs> I would like to um, offer an addendum to the group which is that I don't think we can choose the name until until the podcast has happened because the best names come out of the free-flowing conversation, so in my opinion. my next thing I was going to say was we can decide at the end <laughs> if there's a better one than those two. Hey, before we forget, let's introduce our superb guest star for this week. It's none other than the lovely Mutz Clark. Lovely Mutz, lovely everybody. Is it? Can you retain guest star if you... Have done two in a row. Well, I was going to say, becoming less yeah. and less a guest star, really. But just a this star. Is, this is... You're just a star. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a star. Oh. Any thoughts and wisdom um, from you before we start, Mutz? Um, just stuffed parrots makes me think of Monty Python, but it's not really... Uh, he is an I can't parrot. Think exactly. I can't think why stuffed parrots are going to be mentioned today, but... We'll find out. Are you a Monty Python fan? Um, no, I'm not really, actually. No. But the parrot sketch is kind of um, one of the ones I know. Fair. I was quite pleased I could chip in with a reference to it because I don't think I know really any Monty Python, to be honest. But um, that is, I think, Lucy's dad's favourite sketch or something. Agreed. Um, My Monty Python knowledge is shockingly, shockingly bad. It just it, clearly it didn't exist in our sort of mm, sphere I as we think were. Think it's a point in your favour, probably. And by the way, just to offend everybody, which can be cut out if we wish, I happened to to happen on an archive recording of the Goon Show on the radio the other day. I was in the car, and what a lot of codswallop! I mean, I know people are really, really, really keen on the Goon Show. <laughs> the it's absolute try. I don't know anything about the goonshu. No, well, stay clear is my advice. Great. Mm. Goonshu, new. No. Got enough goonshu going on in my own face, thank you. <laughs> so, here we are in the 1990s, um, living in the Midlands. I've reached my 30s. Uh, the smaller pod clerks are between minus two and ten years old. Uh, I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Between uh, minus two and ten years old. A good time of life, that one. Now, life is hectic. Uh, Mutz is working for a firm of architects part-time. 
and I've been zipping around the world managing projects for refugees in Africa and Asia, just in case, dear listener, you have missed out on the last 23 episodes. Um, but I just take this chance, now that since Mutz is here with us, a big shout out um, to Mutz for all the imaginative work that, um, that she put into bringing up two small people during this period. Um, I think it could be sold as a masterclass in excellence. Uh, I, I just think I just think she had the knack of knowing what was the right thing was to do at any given moment. Um, That's months. Certainly got two excellent small people grown into two excellent big people. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? A cute show. <laughs> There we go. That's that's the episode name. <laughs> that, <'cause, laughs> uh, and so, and to quote the great Clive D. D. Can I just say that's the quote um, that I think I treasure the family relationships that we have, and they should never be taken for granted, because you three, happily on the screen before me now, and in the listeners' world. Uh, have helped sort of shape who I am and what I've done and given more joy than can possibly have imagined. And I attribute a great deal of that to the foundation that, uh, that Mutz, and it was predominantly Mutz, laid in those early days. So big shout out. Uh, and that struck me recently when I asked somebody about their son and their reply was, I don't know anything about them. and I don't even know if they're alive or dead. Whoa. So. Gosh. Cue a slight sniff, wiping away of a half a tear, and violins if we have them. But back to the stories. <laughs> back to the stories. So, what what year is our first story taking place in? I think this is a sort of non-linear timeline, but this is uh, around nineteen ninety nine. A good year. Yeah, the eclipse. Britney Spears. Britney Spears. S Club 7, I think, had the Spice Girls broken up by that point. Certainly the Millennium Bug was in everybody's heads. Yeah. Mm. Which proved to be it not proved very much to be, I know. That, I, that's what? one of my first sort of big memories, I think, is, is the kind of going into that new year with this general sense that it could be a really big deal, but nothing could yeah. handle ticking over to zero, 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 zero. Yeah. And then the sort of wonderfully anticlimactic... No, it's all fine. Oh, I woke up <laughs> it turns out we can okay. cope. <laughs> I remember at work they changed the date on for when they did the accounts. They had got this accounting package, and they changed the dates. They put it back like twenty years or something, so that it wouldn't then go over to two thousand in case there were any problems. Oh. oh. So then, what happened twenty years later? Well, I think they found probably after about one year that there wasn't a problem anyway. So they. You know, yeah. they sorted it out. But it was that fear. Well, like my, my, mm. my two contributions for the Millennium Bug discussion are that um, I was working in, in partnership with a charity, big charity, and um, before uh, January the 1st, they, their computer started sending out checks for random amounts to, as, as salary checks because of this, this problem. So it did occur in some places. Mm. And the other thing I remember was that um, there was an airline uh, where a particular country in Eastern Europe, I think it was, where the board said that they wanted all their senior managers to be flying at midnight on January the 31st so that they could prove they were confident their planes weren't going to fall out of the sky. Wow. Gosh. Well, people thought planes were going to fall out of the sky. 
That's, they didn't know. That seems that's quite mm, extreme. Yeah. I mean, I guess they did know, but they, yeah. there was obviously Otherwise an element of doubt of a, when I read that story. Yeah. A bit of a risk yeah. putting all your stuff on a plane if, you, if there was a bit of doubt. I read that in the Beano, so it must be true. <laughs> the, the glorious Millennium Bug is sitting on your on the shelf in the room you're in, Stephen. Ah, this is a this is, so a, is. a stuffed toy that I was I was given. Right, it's mine. It's definitely it's yours. Mine. I don't want it. Um, <laughs> which is just a silly like insect slash alien um, bug stuffed toy yeah. that I was gifted uh, in time for the Millennium and. It's Did we call it the Millibug, or was it? Is that what it Melly, was called? Millibug is what we call yeah. it. Ah, oh, capitalism capitalising on the Millennium Bug. I know, well, it worked. It's been treasured ever since. Anyway, I began to realise there was more to me, uh, or more for me, I should say, than working for this charity cord until I was sixty-five. The job I was doing, as you might have gathered, was lots of excitement, but it also had a big admin component, sort of report writing, budgeting, accounts, and none of those are my strong points. Um, and I think whilst I was happy to think I was doing something of consequence, um, I just felt there was something more for me out there. Uh, and I didn't know what it was, and I had no real reason for thinking that. But I started looking at jobs in the charity press, because, I mean, I didn't really know anything other than charity work. So, What's the charity um, press? Well, it's kind of like magazines that were published for the charity sector. So there's two or three of them. Um, there's one called Third Sector, uh, and they all have sort of an, um, small ads in the back for jobs that are available. And, and one of those came up, and it was for VSO in Belize now. This was a dream job because, as you remember, loyal listeners, that uh, I'd started out with VSO in Zambia. Um, and uh, I looked at this job and it was to be the country director in Belize, which is a small island. And the programme was sort of not very large. I and mean, basically, I knew it was, a, it was an easy job in a beautiful location. And I thought, sounds good. That's the job for me. And I also had the idea that I could uh, do a distance learning MBA in my spare time and sort of qualify myself up for other jobs outside the charity sector uh, when I'd finished the two years. Um, so I applied for that and I went for the interview and it all seemed to go well. The body language was good, encouraging snorts from the panel as I sort of cracked a joke or something. Um, broad smiles as I left the room. Um, and it gave me hope that this was the next step for me, except that I didn't get the job. Hmm. Bummer. And I felt I was so well qualified and I performed so well, I wanted to know why. So I immediately rang up to find, to find out how I could have been stronger, I suppose, um, for, for the next interview. But every time I called, the, the HR rep uh, wasn't available. Sorry, not available. And I began to smell a rat. So... Eventually, really, just through making a nuisance of myself, um, I did get to speak to somebody. And they spent about 10 minutes beating around the bush, being evasive, and just sort of generally trying to fob me off. And when I sort of, it was clear I wouldn't accept their non-existent reasons, eventually, she finally let it slip that they felt I was too highly principled. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> and, A great um, quality. Yeah. Well, the only reason I could think of uh, they got this idea because um, it hadn't come up in the interview, you know, sort of honesty or being or swindling or anything like that. Um, the only 
sort of reason I thought they got this idea was that perhaps they'd looked at my CV, which included some church activities, um, and they didn't want any Christians, thank you very much. But I was happy to be turned down for being too highly principled, and but I did think they wouldn't get away with that today somehow. Yeah, it also <laughs> it makes you think, does that mean that they run it in a very non-principled way, and what are they trying to get yeah. away with, like why don't they want somebody with good standards <laughs> coming in? Mm. Yeah. I found it totally bewildering. And I, in the end, I sort of thought, well, I don't, I think I'm glad I didn't, yeah. didn't go to work for them mm. in the end. Although it would be nice to sit on a beach doing an MBA. That was my idea. <laughs> but don't you think that it could also be true that there was someone else who had an equally good interview and they were just having, they were sort of having to pick between maybe two good mm, candidates. That's true. And clutching at you know, I think sometimes there aren't always reasons why you don't get something. It might just be that I don't know. There's like no, I, 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 I would assume that was the the reason, but they didn't ever say that. I would have quite mm-hmm. happily walked away if they'd said, "Oh, you were just not as strong as the strongest, strongest candidate." Which Rosemary, my sister, has had a dozen times in her career. She's always been the next one apart somebody stronger. Mm. But they they were so evasive, and it it was. I felt when she came out with that, that was actually you know the, the reason they'd given. Because I, I mean, I, I I could easily have done. That. But how different would life have been? We might have been sitting on a beach doing this podcast. Wow, <laughs> I've never thought about calling up um, an HR department to ask, you know, why you didn't get somewhere because. I don't know if it. I don't know if it's still the same these days, really. But certainly, there's lots and lots of jobs where if you get any reply at all, yeah. it will just be, we had lots of applications, we can't give any feedback. Yeah, it feels like that's always so the line. It's, it's never, let us know if you want any feedback. It's always, we have too many things and we can't mm. give you feedback, but it's a no. It's, mm. yeah. I do appreciate that it takes a lot of time to, to give feedback. Um, and when we were auditioning... Um, well, I think every time that we've auditioned for shows that Magna has done, um, we've kind of made it a point that if we see someone for, for an audition and don't cast them, that if they want feedback, we we do give feedback, even though often there isn't a reason. It's just that somebody else maybe slightly suited the role better. But it it just takes such a long time because you don't want to give someone mm. feedback that doesn't feel useful or, yeah. you know... You want mm. to definitely so, have yeah, thought I about can't it imagine. a bit. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine what that's like on a on a bigger scale. Mm. Anyway, interesting experience. Mm. So uh, then I the next thing I applied for was to Oxfam, a well-known large charity. And that was to be an assistant director in Ethiopia. So both of these jobs would have been overseas. My main observation of that process was it was a group interview with about 15 people uh, that lasted the whole day. I don't know if anyone... Have any of you have been to group interviews at all? I, I think I remember one. I did one for um, the castle. I applied for a job at some point, which I can't remember when that was, um, which was a group interview, and I feel like it was about twenty people in it, and you had to bring an object that represented you or something, and talk about it for like a couple of minutes in front of everyone, and and I didn't get the job afterwards, which I remember being really surprised by because I thought it was. I guess I hadn't had another job at that point, so maybe that was it. But it was mm. like they, there was nothing fancy about the job. It was just like you know, yeah. person doing a, yeah. a job at the castle. Um, mm. That that's my only experience. Well, anyway, it's, it, I found it a bit a bit peculiar because um, 
you felt it was like a uh, I don't know a psychology experiment or something. You, mm. you you were obviously being watched. In fact, we were being watched because there was a discussion where we all had to to throw an, a a debate around while people sat outside and you know outside the circle and watched the interactions. Um, and of the fifteen, one had been flown from Ethiopia, and another had come from Australia. I, yeah, I'm sure it was Australia. Um, I'd hopped on a train and gone two stops um, to Oxford, uh, which I think involved claiming £5.60 for the train fare. Um, but after all of that hullabaloo and various written tests and assessments and so on, they didn't even appoint anyone um, from that group. Oh. Um, they didn't and appoint anyone at all? Not anyone at all from that round of interviews. Um, and once again, I was sort of by my own judgment, felt I was capable of it. And I felt some of the others in the room were even more capable of it. And I do have a great respect for much of what Oxfam does. But I thought then, and I still think, that you can sometimes lose sight of your main goal um, when you're trying to adopt best practice. Because the the cost of that whole saga must have been thousands. Um, so anyway, just a, a reflection. I'll actually come back to large charities in another episode in the future. So wait for that excitement. <laughs> Other charities are available. It's all going to go down. Anyway, I'm not yet 65 and I'm not working for Cord, so uh, I wonder what happened. Well, I decided to hand in my notice um, as I found it almost impossible uh, to sort of think clearly when you're on the merry-go-round. You've almost got to get off the merry-go-round to think what else there is in life apart from the merry-go-round. And that's when you thought you trained in taxidermy. Because <laughs> <laughs> of the parrot. That took me so long to get. <laughs> but it was a very good joke. <laughs> I was like, I've never heard of yeah. this. So I couldn't really think clearly about what I could do, what I should do, or even what I wanted to do. Um, whilst I was sort of, I was basically running two full time jobs because my boss had gone on sabbatical. Um, so I was sort of deputising for him. And by the way, Whilst he was away, the committee uh, voted to give him a salary increase, uh, but not me, oh. which uh, was kind of like the final straw. So a whole number of things meant that it seemed like it was time to get out. And I decided to have my notice in. And that was a risk because we couldn't really afford to live on one part time wage. Um, and I also felt I couldn't quite desert the organisation just like that. So I decided this genius idea to go part-time and I worked for two days a week um, on another project that somebody had asked me to get onto, which I'll come on to. Now, what this meant is that I could start to spend a bit more time doing things um, with you two. For example, walking to school. You may remember we've talked about it before mm. in this. Um, on one of those days when we were going to walk to school, it was absolutely tipping it down with rain and so we decided to take the car. So off we jumped out of the house. I was so happy whenever there were circumstances oh, to get a lift. I couldn't believe... Yeah, that was one of those it's things It's so that... funny, isn't it? I've <laughs> such a, like, a core feeling of just like... We're getting a lift! <laughs> <laughs> so few and far between with those moments. Yeah. Which was good. Yeah. Hey. Spotlight, spotlight on childhood that we ne- didn't necessarily realise. But anyway. No, I, I would much rather have been raised to walk to places and cycle to places rather than being ferried around and... Not appreciate it. Yeah. Also, because I definitely think that my love of cycling places and, you know, I, I still try and cycle as much as I can in London, definitely comes from the fact that we cycle to school 
almost every yeah. single day apart from when it was like torrential rain. So, yeah. No, it was torrential rain this day. But unfortunately, <laughs> as we raced to the car, uh, sort of sheltering under our coats, we got to the car and I'd left the key in the house, you know, normal story. So I put my briefcase down on the, on the pavement and dashed back into the car to get the key. Came back out, opened the door, bundled you in, jumped in and drove off without the briefcase, uh, which was still on the uh, pavement. Now, this is a Uh-oh. salutary... A salutary sort of story for many people, but especially me, because I was about to go uh, on an overseas trip and I put into that briefcase everything that needed to be sorted out, finished, taken oh, with no. me. It was kind of like the premium briefcase, yeah. if you like. It, was, it wasn't just any old daily briefcase. In fact, I didn't... Was it a big briefcase? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, all the things that need things, to be sorted yeah. out. <laughs> I sort of, just quickly, I've got, I enjoy that you had a briefcase. That feels like something that doesn't Same, happen anymore. People have just that. laptops and that's it. Whereas the idea of having a briefcase is like I lots know, of paper and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I only really used it when I was about to go. I don't remember it as being a standard thing. Anyway, it had everything that was important to my job and a few things that were important outside of the job. And just really... When I realised we got to school and I went to work and I hadn't got the briefcase, I realised what I'd done and drove straight back because there was no briefcase on the pavement. And I just, I remember that sinking feeling in my stomach that you sort of only had a few times in life. You think, oh, this time the world is definitely going to stop turning. You know, everything's going to fall off the edge. Um, <laughs> I don't know, the charity's going to go bankrupt, the project's going to fail, funding's not going to... Because I had this great inflated idea that I was a key input. You know, nobody's indispensable. And that's one of the things that I learned. But also, uh, did I find the briefcase? Anyway, I was so desperate because I thought it's such an important thing that I started searching for it. And I retraced um, the steps. Uh, well, in fact, because we live very near the canal that we used to walk along when it wasn't raining, I thought, well, that's the sort of place somebody might have gone to to check the contents because it was a bit sort of hidden away. So I went down the canal in the rain and walked along the canal, looking up behind bushes. I went, um, I just anywhere I could think of where somebody might have tossed it or thrown it. I I stared into the canal to see if I could find any see oh, any sort no. of um, bits of metal. I went back to to the street we lived in, and I went. There was some sort of flats opposite us and they had big communal bins i went and looked in the bins and i you know some of them were locked and then i found a bin with which i've got a lid on it and i took the lid off and guess what was in the in the bin your briefcase it was a stuffed parrot (laughs) 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 oh stephen so anyway do you mean a soft toy or do you mean a real soft stuff yes no i mean a soft toy sorry not a real not an actual parrot no, I'm uh, sorry. Still. That's, still. But still. <laughs> but I mean, all very much worth the wear, covered in grease, and I mean, definitely not something to recover, and absolutely no, nothing to do with this story at all, really. But except, <laughs> except it, it wasn't my briefcase, and it was very surreal. So anyway, I, I didn't ever find it. I went to the police station, they didn't ever find it. For the first day, I thought the world was going to stop turning, and people would probably die. Um, for the second day, I thought, well, maybe it'll just be people dying. And then the third day, fourth day, fifth day, week, two weeks, six weeks. I have yet to find a serious consequence of losing 
all the things that are most important in my life, uh, my professional life at that moment. <laughs> I, you know, everything was could be duplicated with copies of them. You know, n- nothing actually terrible happened. So, note Great. to self. Mm. You're not as important as you think you are, and the things in your life aren't as important as you think they are. Gosh, that's funny how that is. Like, in the context of the story, that's a positive thing, but it doesn't feel like a positive thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I know what you mean. I think there's something kind of freeing about trying to hold on to the fact that, <laughs> you know, it, things aren't the be-all and end-all. Yeah. But also it's important to remember, you know, not to be too bleak about it. Yeah. Well, for a while afterwards, I thought maybe I should chuck my briefcase away every six months and just have a sort of a, a, a more peaceful life. Because, mm. I mean, I've still got and I've still got downstairs a pile of papers that I can't ever seem to get rid of, even though I try say, right, I'm going to get rid of this now and deal with it. But there's always some bits that are left. There's always yeah. there's always something else to sort out. Yeah. And yeah. thus ends the lesson for today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's more lessons to come. Anyway, at this point... Uh, my phony friend, and you'll have to go back to episode episode five if you want to know why he was a phony friend. Um, he called to say that um, he was running a big media company and he called to say that his sales director had perforated his eardrum and um, they were both due in Las Vegas for a big media conference. And could I go to uh, support him in selling his products in Las Vegas? <laughs> sure. What do you think the answer to that question yes. was? <laughs> yeah, so. I've lost my briefcase and it had my passport in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could have been. That could have been so true. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, yeah, off we. And it was very short notice, and within a couple of days, I was on a plane with him to Las Vegas. Now, I don't know if we've ever discussed this before in the family, but it is the wildest place, one of the wildest places I've ever been, and I've been to some wild places. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't quite believe that it was 24-7 gambling on every single front. So an example of that was when you get off the plane and at the boarding, you know, when you come off into the airport, there are slot machines just right there as you get off the plane. Um, And uh, the big, every hotel had a big sort of gambling hall. And uh, if you walked through it, you could see people with credit cards in the slots of the machine, just sort of repeatedly pushing the buttons and hoping for a win. Um, but the thing was about the hotels, I mean, you may know more than I do about this, but the, I still reel over the hotels. They're all themed and different themes. Mm. And so there was one is French and another one was based on Venice with little um, gondolas sailing through the reception area on a little mini canal. And But the one I wanted to talk about was the Pirate Hotel because... Um, <laughs> This still, to this day, remains a a conundrum. It it was a a hotel, but outside was a a full-size pirate ship. You know, just, I mean, that in itself wasn't particularly amazing, except that um, uh, there's certain times each day there was a show on this pirate ship. And so I escaped from the, um, the media conference one afternoon, went to look at this, and out, played out before my very eyes, was a full-scale pirate battle um, in front of the hotel with what appeared to be cannons and guns and people falling off the ship and hanging off ropes and diving into water. And I mean, uh, the most sort of spectacular spectacle that I have 
had seen, really. And then finally, there was an enormous explosion that you sort of think that can't be right. And this, the whole thing caught fire. And I thought, shouldn't somebody do something? And then it sank. <laughs> it sank. The whole thing sank mm. with just sort of two little tiny bits of mast sticking up above. It's one way to put out the fire. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was actually quite troubled about this, except that sort of half an hour later, it all reset itself, came back out of the, out of the thing, water again. all dripping off it. And, but the scale of it and the scope of it was... That was, is quite amazing. Was, was it, it was just free in front of the hotel. Anybody could rock up and look at it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, all of hotels had sort of free um, spectacles and then things you could pay for. I mean, one of them was a sort of a circus you could go and wander into, uh, I remember. And I oh. guess that's, that's all going on still now. A place I would never want to go back to, mm. but was absolutely fascinating to visit once. I guess it's one of those things where it's like the whole purpose of the whole place is gambling and making lots of money from that. So you have to have other things going on to distract you from it for a moment so that it doesn't feel like all you're doing is gambling. But I, like, but you're not paying yeah. for it, so, um, you know, everybody can attend it and stuff. Yeah, it's a very... I remember um, my friend Owen went to see... Went to Las Vegas for a work thing as well and said similar, like, very... Like, everything is fake as well because it's just in the desert yeah. and, like, just really weird... Very weird vibe. Mats, I was wondering what it was like for you um, back at home with us, you know, with Dad sort of jumping off to Las Vegas at short notice and potentially being, you know, going to be a director in Ethiopia. Were you sort of just, like, flowing along with the tide or were you...? Yes, I think I was a bit. Um, But I know it was always... It was always sort of... You get into your routine of how to to live without um, Stevie there... You know, and then he comes back and you change your way to how you were. And it was always a bit of an adjustment. I do do remember that, sort of. But um, it was always better when he was there, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And did we, did we sort of understand, like, where he was? Or were we just like, ah, nonplussed? Um, hard to remember. Oh, yes, that's hard to say, really. Because you were all... You know, quite young, really. I was so going to say, think... is it was this in nineteen ninety nine? Is this or that was? Yeah, that was in nineteen ninety nine. So, this particular mm, incident. Yeah, I've been you were seven. seven. But you might not have known about the possibility of going to Belize or Ethiopia at that point. I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm sure we didn't know about that. I mean, I think uh, I remember that, and I think I just thought, well, you know, it'd be interesting, but I hadn't ever lived abroad. For any substantial time, mm. so I thought, oh, you know, a little bit of not quite sure what it'll be like, but you know, up up to give it a go. It's so funny, isn't it, to think about how different, yeah, things might have been if that had happened. Absolutely. And don't forget that the reason Mutt's actually trained in secretarial work was with the view of doing something useful if we did go and work overseas right at the very beginning. Mm. Before we I ever did had think children. it was a very likely thing we might do. Yeah. Mm. Look where you are now. Abroad. Overseas. Abroad. And secretarial skills. Out the window. They'd be useful. What? (laughs) (laughs) So as we we left uh, Las Vegas, we went to board the plane. As I was saying, uh, we were at the holding gate just to get on. The plane was there and we were just waiting to board. And there was some young lad who was using up his last um, uh, um, dimes or nickels or whatever they are on the machine that was right by the, the, the... 
um, bridge to the plane and he won some sort of jackpot kind of thing I mean it wasn't a jackpot but anyway all these coins started ka-chunk, 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 and all spilling out onto the floor and and then we, we all had to board so it was kind of like help me, how do I help gather, me gather the money into, yeah. <laughs> everyone can have, have what they want sort of thing but I mean I, it probably wasn't that much but it was very dramatic because of all the sort of amount of coins that came out and it was a sort <laughs> of the final fitting farewell to Las Vegas so when I got back, I decided to go and see a charity recruitment consultant because somebody told me you get one free interview and because um, they're looking for people to place as well as being employed by people, organisations to recruit staff. So I went to see this woman in London and she was absolutely uh, brilliant. Um, she interviewed me for 15 minutes only and reviewed the job I'd been doing, um, the sort of things I wanted to do and liked doing. And <laughs> she said, right, she said, Okay, well, I could place you tomorrow, she said. I'd have a job for you tomorrow. She said, I could triple your salary. But, I was waiting for this but, you know, this is a great one. But, she said, I don't think you want to be placed. (laughs) And I think she sort of pointed out something to me that I hadn't really realised myself, which is that, I mean, I've been in this charity and they'd given me a, a pretty free run. You know, I didn't have to to follow too many rules but more and more I was sort of not somebody who wanted to fit into a, an employment um, role I think and so she sent me away sort of feeling very good about myself but thinking well what am I going to be doing <laughs> and so we come to sliding doors too so I wasn't sure of what I wanted to do I thought it would probably be in the charity sector so I booked myself onto a charity conference now these were things that I sort of despised, really, because they cost a lot of money, in this case, £90 for a day. Um, you sort of thought they were just talk shops where people went and slapped each other on the back. But I felt as if I ought to know what's going on because I'd lived in a sort of quite a small little bubble with the organisation I'd worked for. Um, and uh, so this was a big conference in London. It was called The Future for Charities. That was the topic. And off I went, paid my £90, paid my 25 quid for a train ticket. Turned up bright, bright as a bee, bright as a button. <laughs> bright as a bee. Buzzy as a button. <laughs> Suit, suited and booted to the um, it was the Queen Elizabeth uh, Conference Centre in Westminster, which is just opposite the House of House of Parliament. And uh, my working for the Cord, which was a small charity, if I ever went to an event on their behalf, I used to go straight to the front of the room and sit at the front. Because I knew that when it came to questions, there was always a sort of a slight delay. Um, When they said any questions, there's always a slight delay before the first question is taken. And then you've lost your chance. I used to sit at the front and be ready with my question and have my hand straight up so that I could get the first question. Just really to give a bit of profile to the charity. Uh, even if I made the question up or didn't really wasn't any, even interested in the answer. So anyway, that was my habit. And even I wasn't at this conference for anybody. I was there for myself. But I sat at the front because that was my 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 um, habit. Although the front row was actually taken, so I sat in the the, the second row back. And um, I was just uh, sitting behind this couple, and suddenly I realised um, that it was the chairman of Cord and his wife who were sitting at this... And it was a big room of 500 people, I suppose. And they were sitting right in front of me. So I... The place you had just left. The, the place I'd just left. And I didn't know him very well. He used to turn up for the occasional meeting every few months. 
he was a, a quite a reserved gentleman. Um, he used to be a very senior civil servant, um, having weekly meetings with the prime minister and stuff. So, but he was an absolute gem when you got to know him. But I didn't know him very well, and I knew his wife even less. And so, anyway, I tapped them on the shoulder when I realised and and said, "Hello, it's me." <laughs> and Steve. they they said, "Oh, well, how nice to see you." And and his wife said to me, "Well." I'd like to talk to you over coffee, you see. So when there was a coffee break, we went to to have coffee. And uh, she said to me, and she was quite sort of refined, and she said, Stephen, she said, what are you doing now? And I said, oh, well, you're the first person to know this, literally, apart from my family. But uh, I handed my notice in to Cord yesterday, and your your husband doesn't even know this. But yesterday I handed in my notice. Oh, she said, what, what are you going to do now? And this was my big mistake because I said, I don't know. <laughs> and quick as a flash, she said, I do. You're going to come work for me. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this was Helen Taylor Thompson, who will appear sort of quite regularly in the next few episodes, actually. Um, and she very bizarrely had an idea that she'd had in the middle of the night a few weeks before. And this idea was to educate people uh, or help educate people who couldn't read or write around the world to live sort of healthier and longer lives. And she had in mind that I was the person to help her do it. I don't know why she had that in mind. I hadn't really met her before. She'd obviously heard reports from her husband, I suppose. But she had said to her husband, I want Stephen Clark to help me with this. And he said, you can't possibly contact him. He's running around like a headless chicken. His <laughs> boss has been on sabbatical for six months. You know, he doesn't even know which way he's facing. Um, you can't contact him. So she didn't. Now, in this conference, her habit was always to sit at the back of the room. And that's where they should have been sitting. But she had forgotten her glasses on this particular day. So she said to her husband, Derek, we must go and sit at the front of this room so I can read the slides on the projector when they come up on the screen. I won't be able to read them from the back. So she went and sat directly in front of me, which wasn't supposed to be, because she was supposed to be at the back and I was supposed to be at the front. And who knows, if we hadn't had that chance meeting, if she hadn't had have said, uh, what are you doing? If I hadn't said, I don't know. If she, uh, everything that you're yeah. going to hear in the next few episodes, which actually is mm. the more exciting part of life. Um, <laughs> Every single time that happens, you say that. <laughs> it's all exciting. But it goes back to that phrase that we were saying, I think, just before we started recording, the what's for you won't pass you by. It's just meant to be. Mm. There is a side that I, I don't know what to think about that, other than that it certainly feels that way. It certainly feels that way. Mm. So that's the trailer for the whole of the rest of life, which had unbelievable uh, consequences and takes us to where we are today, sitting around this Zoom conference podcast <laughs> it feels kind of appropriate that our two-year sort of marker coincides with a big turning point in your life yeah and it turned out to be a massive turning point really did yeah yeah so in 2025 we'll be up to present day <laughs> if we keep going at the rate we're going how does that work how does that work well if it's been two years and we started in 2021 It doesn't matter. I've clearly lost my audience. It's made me feel like you're amazing at maths, but I feel like you're not doing something complicated. So I've missed the. I've missed what. I'm just saying, if we're halfway through and it's taken two years, you're halfway through. Two years. Got it. (laughs) 
so far. I've gone much, much, much deeper into it, like Tommy had for a while. But yeah. Anyway. Mm. Well, obviously, I was being very good. <laughs> Excellent. That's it from me. Yeah. Well, it's 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 always good. It's always good to be reminded that you know things don't have to stay the same, and you don't have to follow the path that you think you're following. I actually met someone um, at this festival that I was doing last week who um, had sort of just graduated uh, and was a teacher, but clearly really liked kind of performing. And and, and she was just sort of saying to me, you know, I, I sort of miss performing and I kind of, but, you know, but now I'm a teacher and I sort of feel like I need to stay here. And I was like, you, you don't. Mm. And I was like, mm. obviously, you know, I'm not saying give it all up today but I'm just saying you can be a teacher for five years and then you can go and do something else which isn't to say that that's easy but it's totally possible yeah the that what whatever the phrase was about not passing you by um is sort of reinforced by the fact that the same week I handed my notice in to my employer um Mats's employer well, you tell you say what happened because you were there. Yeah, well, at the time I was doing a job share um, because um, I'd worked there before and then I stopped uh, for a bit and I had you, Tommy, it would have been... The, well, I kept stopping and starting, but it would have been after having you. And then they offered me this job share with um, one of the secretaries who was there because she wanted to reduce her hours. So I said, yeah, that'd be great. And so I was part-time. And then she decided she wanted to leave completely and do something different. She was setting up a jewellery shop. So there, she was doing something mm. completely different. <laughs> and they said, um, would you like to go full-time? Or you, you could sort of, you know, stay on and do... If you were part-time, you'd do a kind of a lesser job. And I thought, mm, I don't really want to uh, do a lesser job. So I sort of sort of reluctantly decided to go full time because I think I felt a little bit sad of you know not having any sort of time with you two you know still doing that but um but it was great because we kind of swapped in that um shti mm. then had time with you mm. which you know mm. a lot of couples who have children don't have that um have that you chance. know shared opportunity um, so it was really good. Anyway, so, um, yeah, that was at the same time that um, Helen said, you're going to work for me. It was yeah, the same week. So it was all yeah. working out. And, and of course, that was, the finan- that was the financial side was sorted. Well, not sorted, but it was it made much much less of a mm. risk because we now had a full salary. And Mats became the main wage earner. And I think most of you have remained that to this day, actually. So there you go. Money bags, Mats, that's yeah, what they call it. Yeah, breadwinner. <laughs> I I remember that we used to have, for dinner times, it used to be the dad would cook on the weekdays and mum would cook on the weekends. That's right. Because you were around more and then mum was around, well, not around more, but you were were more free to cook at the weekends. Yeah, I I liked to cook Which I always think I thought was like a, yeah, it was like a nice way of, Mm. you know, of sharing out. Yeah. Can you remember the pizza I used to make? Because just the other day Can I was trying... Can we remember the yes. pizza? Well, oh, please. That was another, like, proper treat dinner, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, the thing is, that in those days, in those days, 
<clears throat> I could knock it up without thinking about it. But I, and I'd like to do it again, really. So I was asking Mutz about yeah. where we got the recipe from. But then she reminded me it's just a scone base with some cheese in it and pizza toppings. Che- yeah, cheese in the dough always blew my mind mm. when I made that after I left home. Mm. Mm. Have you got a recipe? Yeah, somewhere. Oh, send it. Yeah, I'll search. I'll search it out. <laughs> mm. I think I've I've got an email folder that says recipes, which has got a collection of the old, <laughs> the family favourites, mocha squares. Yeah, <laughs> there are definite family favourites that um, stick out in my mind. Uh, one of which is definitely homemade steam pizza. Um, another one is stir fry with almonds. That oh, one yeah. I really really Ooh, remember. Yeah. Lots of soy sauce. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Toad in the hole. Toad in the hole, yeah. classic. Um, chocolate pudding. Oh, my fave. Chocolate pudding for me is a later on thing. I feel oh, like yeah. we didn't have that when we were young. Mm. Maybe. Side sausages. Old cider sausages, yes. Absolutely classic. And of course, being the house of yog. House of yog. Yeah. House of yog. I every mean, day. Oh, so good. Do you, do you know, I've. Great. Love it. I've started making yogurt in the greenhouse. I, I, I leave it in the greenhouse oh my word. All, all day long, and it turns into yogurt. Do you, <laughs> all day yog. <laughs> you should call it that. That's one of those sentences that you sort of want to follow up with. And do you know what day of the week it is today? And uh, mm. you, do you ever feel confused? <laughs> What? What? Because <laughs> you're, you're making yogurt in the greenhouse. It feels like you've you've gone completely <laughs> oh, do bananas, and, you're, yeah. and, you've, and you don't know where the kitchen is anymore. <laughs> I feel like we've lost the plot for sure Definitely. as this conversation goes on. Well, thanks very much, Steve. Well, twenty four, twenty, not poor, twenty great, tw- tw- twenty great. Um, yeah, very excited to hear some more i actually didn't realize that helen was the wife of the chairman of court and i i've heard that story mm. of her being at that conference but i hadn't quite clocked that she was so connected so yeah, interesting so yeah anyway well thanks everybody another excellent episode and um many an anecdote of <laughs> our lives which i'm always a fan of <laughs> till next time it's goodbye for me it is goodbye for me it's goodbye for me and can i just say goodbye Cue the music.